Welcome into episode 242 of the Source to Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. Source to Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two licensed locations. It's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859 859- Five four three zero seven zero zero. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health and a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental Team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic, Jack. How are you? Well, I've been better. We, three days ago, get on the show and talk about, man, I think we could be a four seed. Man, is there a chance we could slide in as a three? Well, at least we're a five, at least. Kentucky's rolling four straight wins, playing their best basketball of the year. John Calipari, as usual, puts his team in position to uh, be as successful as possible in March. Freshmen playing their best basketball of the year. And then Kentucky turns around with a 68-66 quad three loss at home on senior night, a night that we honor one of the greatest UK basketball players of all time, Oscar Shibwe, his final moment inside Rupp Arena. He bursts through the paper hoop and a standing ovation crowd goes wild. Jacob Toppin, Antonio Reeves, CJ Frederick, Ellen Calipari, uh, Brandon Canada. It was uh, an unbelievable setup leading up to 68-66. Uh, about as disappointing of a performance as you could ask for. For I, I really not even for how the Cats played because all things considered, Sean, I think the Cats didn't play terribly outside of just missing shots. I think they got a bunch of really uh, solid looks, and the guys that you wanted taking shots got them. Uh, I mean, you can argue about thir- thirty mid-range shots and the value of that, especially considering how things unfolded with Liam Robbins going down for Vanderbilt and. Uh, the fact that Kentucky was so cold shooting the ball, you'd want them to kind of maximize the Oscar Sheboy dominance down low. Uh, but all things considered, that wasn't even really the storyline. The storyline was health. Case and Wallace going down, not being able to have any available point guards down the stretch, uh, and really just a nightmare scenario for the Cats in that regard. So we have plenty to get to, obviously. Plenty of ch- comments already in the chat, questions. Uh, if you have any questions about uh, how the team's playing, what's going on behind the scenes, recruiting, any of that good stuff as we now are one game away from postseason play. Let us hear it in the chat. We are definitely excited to interact with uh, fans today. But, Sean, let's vent a little bit. What what happened? What happened inside Rupp Arena uh, on Wednesday night? Situational basketball. I thought that they lost that game late first half, early second half is where I think that that game kind of got away from them. And then in the midst of all that, Kaysen goes down right in the middle of like 40, I think it's 44-35 or something like that. But you had the play to close the first half where they had a mix-up where I'm pretty sure Oscar was going to switch that back screen for that lob at the rim. Now, Jerry Stackhouse admitted that the shot that they got wasn't what they wanted, but it was built in. That late in the clock, you switch that. You cover the lob to the rim. You also cover the uh, the open three there. And you take three points off the board, which in the end of the game mattered. Right. When it comes down to it, you miss a three to win the game. They hit a three to close the first half. I mean, there's more plays built in that made a difference in the outcome. But that's situational basketball going into the half there where you've got to get a stop. You've got to stay connected defensively. You can't have a miscommunication or a cross up. And then they didn't start the second half well. And then outside of Oscar Sheboy, I don't think anyone really played well at all. I know Chris Livingston uh, did some things there in the second half and tried to spark around, hit a three, got a steal and a dunk. I know he finished, I think, what, eight and seven. But uh, outside of of the of Oscar and a little bit of there, but when you don't have Kaysen, you also can't have Antonio Reeves miss as many shots as he did. And then if he's missing those shots, you can't have CJ Frederick not hitting shots. Like the things that I've always said is you can't have both those perimeter shooters and both those perimeter threats not hitting shots on on the same night. And if you if you do, you're in trouble. You're even you're you're in more trouble if Kaysen Wallace isn't available to hit those shots as well. So Kentucky got to a point to where. I take a lot of good stuff from the way that they continued to fight and claw and scrap and try to have a chance to win the game, and they did. But they just couldn't get over the hump of not having a point guard, and it it, it killed any rhythm and flow, especially late in the game. And the shot that they got there, the mid-range jumper from Antonio Reeves, I'm not happy with that one. I would have liked to see them post Oscar again because he had just scored on the previous possession. 
uh, Reeves actually waved him out for a middle ball screen there that I was like, what are you doing? He had a duck in and some leverage there. If they just get in the ball and you never know what happens And the way the whistle had been, he's probably going to the free throw line. So I don't know. Just, it's a frustrating loss. It's a quad three loss at home. So now they've got a quad three at home, a quad four at home and a quad three on the road. So, I mean, they got some losses that you don't, that you don't like there, but with look, I'm not ready to throw in the towel and panic, though. Like, we can't talk what we talked the four games prior and then come in here and be like, oh, all systems failure, it's broken. Just make sure Kaysen's good to go. Get out of Fayetteville healthy. Get into the SEC tournament. Let's see where this team's at. But we got a lot of inning to do for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think what fans care about most and what we need to get rolling with is definitely the, the Case and Wallace dynamic. And, and it's exactly what we've talked about on this show the last time, last couple times actually, that – Everything was working the way it needed to. It felt like Kaysen had a firm grasp of this offense, his playmaking, his court vision. Uh, the, his facilitating has taken such an unbelievable jump, Sean, that I felt really, really confident with him having the ball in his hands late, early shot clock, setting plays up. Like I, I really I have, have grown to be unbelievably comfortable with, with him as the guy, uh, the keys in his hand. And, um, we saw exactly what happened when, when, when that failed. When, when he goes down two minutes into the second half, uh, you see Antonio Reeves step in and, and do his best. C.J. Frederick did his best. Adu Thero, bless his heart, just really, really struggled out there. He did his best, but was, wasn't enough. We even had Jacob Toppin taking the ball up every once in a while. Uh, it was basically a worst-case scenario for this team, given what happened earlier in the day with, with Xavier Wheeler being declared out. Uh, has a minor procedure done um, that is going to take him out for a couple of weeks that very conveniently enough, the, the two-week timeline that John Calipari announced uh, is the start of the NCAA tournament. I was told that that's why uh, he wanted to get it done as soon as possible to give him a chance to return for the NCAA tournament. I'm sure fans are going to have plenty of questions about that, and uh, I'll answer. I, I have some insight into how that all unfolded, what's going on behind the scenes with all that. So I'm sure fans will uh, ask those questions. But we saw a worst-case scenario at the point guard position and just how bad things could get. Uh, again, credit Kentucky's fight with, uh, you know, understanding that Antonio can't be the the go-to scorer and shooter whenever he has to be a facilitator as well. You know, CJ's not getting shots off when he's the primary facilitator. Just get the ball down low to Oscar Sheway. Let him work. They were going five guards against him, Vanderbilt, because they were shorthanded as well. They were in foul trouble as well. So they ended up scrapping together and almost pulled off a win in a game that they should have won. But um, all, all that matters now is getting Kaysen Wallace healthy. If if Kaysen goes down for any extended period of time, Kentucky's not making a run. He is far too important. He's the, the most important player on the floor. And that's what we said on literally the last show about – how, what could kill this team's optimism? What could kill this momentum? Two minutes into the second half is what what could happen. So uh, I'm, I'm hearing good things. Uh, John Calipari said the x-rays were negative. Uh, Oscar Chibwe had a cool quote where he said as soon as the game ended, he kind of left into the locker room, checked on, on him. And he was like, well, I'm not supposed to say anything, but I think he's going to be good to go. Uh, I've heard just as of today that it's not no follow-up swelling or anything like that, that uh, things are looking good. He's sore. To be expected, but uh, I do think that there is a chance that he plays Saturday uh, against Arkansas. And I guess the question now to you, Sean, is do you play him against Arkansas, knowing the value that he brings, knowing that Savir is no longer a safety net that you have sitting on the bench for you? Because I was told that he was inching close to a return with his ankle. He was right there on the cusp of returning, and then this uh, tailbone and you know lower back tailbone issue stemmed. So. It's it's a really tough question about whether you kind of just punt on Saturday or you say, no, we need to catch every win we can. Uh, if he is able to go and there's no risk with it, and if, if he's able to practice or something uh, tomorrow or whatever, or go through something, then I, I think that you play him just because I think it's so late in the year. But if there's any risk at all to it, then you sit him. Like It is a tough decision because – you're trying to still build that chemistry. You're trying to use every opportunity you can to continue getting better as a team and, and things like that. And we know what late season injuries can do to Kentucky basketball. We've seen it in the past, how it can throw off rhythm. And then uh, guys come back and they, they're they not in the mix. And whether it's a, a week off or two weeks off or whatever, 
it's been or just a gamer like a game or two like it it's difficult to to reestablish that rhythm and but i guess the advantage would be you get into the league tournament if you can win a couple of games in the league tournament then you've got multiple games to kind of reestablish that that form and that rhythm that you had built so i think it all depends on tomorrow and where things are if he's able to give it a go in practice or whatever the whatever's going on with that injury then i think possibly but if he's not able to practice tomorrow i would assume that you will not see Casey Wallace suit up Saturday in Fayetteville, but it, it is a quad one opportunity there for Kentucky. It's a, a, a chance to to get another quad one win. You are in the tournament, so even if you lose it, I don't think you have anything to worry about. I think Kentucky's an NCAA tournament team if, if they lose that game in Fayetteville. So uh, I guess it all depends on where that injury is tomorrow morning, Jack, and uh, with it being an ankle, I mean, it's it's really hard to tell. I know he stood up last night on the end of the bench for just a brief moment he had been sitting there for maybe two minutes. They'd been working on him. And I, when he stood up, I was like, okay, he's going to walk to the tunnel here and see if he, he can give it a go. And as soon as he stood up, he went right back down to the bench. And that's when I was like, all right, his knot's done. And then once they took him to the tunnel, we didn't see him again. So it, it is a tough decision. I just, oh, if there's any risk of, of it not being 100%, I don't think you throw him out there. If it's not if it's not 90 95%, then you, you sit him. It is tough because this is a really important game because they did fall back to seven. Uh, Jerry Palm just released his uh, latest bracketology. I think we'll get a a new one from Joe Lenardi tomorrow. I think he does it every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, But Jerry Palm dropped to a seven seed, which, you know, I kind of maybe thought that he would – maybe they would be harder on Kentucky with, with that loss being a quad three just on the surface, even though Vandy has won seven of their last eight, they're playing their best basketball of, of the season. You know, but I, I thought uh, just side note, I thought Jerry Stackhouse put, put forth a coaching clinic. Sean. I, I thought he did a really, really, really impressive job of, of recovering without Liam Robbins. I thought he drew up some absolute di- just dynamite plays to, to draw up some really, really good looks for his team. I thought the, the, Three-point attempt for Melora Brown to close out the first half was brilliant. I think there were just a lot of really good things that uh, Jerry Stackhouse has done. And, you know, I think he's very quietly built this Vanderbilt basketball program into somebody, you know, somebody that, that people actually respect. I, you know, admittedly going into the year the last couple of years, uh, I just really haven't even thought twice about Vanderbilt. And, and they have now kind of become one of those teams on the schedule that you go, well, uh, and I, I kind of expected that going into the game that they were going to fight. And, and I, that's why it didn't shock me the first half coming out sluggish. And uh, I knew that they were going to want to throw that first punch because they're playing desperate. Every win matters for them. They're, they're just trying to get into the incident tournament at this point. So I knew that they would show some fight. And I think had Kaysen not gone down, I think that they would have rallied and it would have been a close, you know, three, four point win for Kentucky, but I think they would have been done enough, but uh, absolute credit tip of the cap to Jerry Stackhouse. I think he did an excellent job and it was cool seeing the raw emotion from him uh, in Rupp Arena, knowing that he has never beaten John Calipari. He's never beaten Kentucky. Kentucky Kentucky hasn't lost to Vanderbilt inside Rupp Arena since 2007. Uh, So that was just kind of really cool. And, you know, got to just give them credit because uh, I did think that he put on an absolute coaching clinic and I do have a lot of respect for the way he's built that program. He's a he's a coach to watch here in the next couple of years if he keeps doing what he's doing and having success. I mean, if you can have it at Vanderbilt and build it from where from where it was just a few years ago. I mean, look, they're they've been one of the better teams in the SEC. We were talking going into that game that is Kentucky the hottest team in the league. Uh, Vanderbilt's making a push to to be one of the hottest teams in the league too, right there at the top. I mean, they're look where they're at in the SEC standings. Like that's a team that. They've they've actually got a re- they're not going to be an NCAA tournament team unless they make a run in Nashville and do some have some magic there. But uh, they, they've got good wins. They've got quad one wins on their resume, and uh, they they beat a Kentucky team that was one of the hottest teams in the SEC. And I know with Case and Wallace down, but I thought that Stackhouse did a lot of good stuff, especially in the second half and the lineups that he was using. I thought it really put a lot of pressure on Kentucky because. Kentucky didn't have options in the backcourt. We knew that this was a thin backcourt even when healthy with Xavier and Kaysen. And uh, you had to go to Adu, and Adu was not ready to handle the ball. And as soon as he was forced into that role, uh, Vanderbilt picked up the on-ball pressure, and it caused a couple of turnovers and an important stretch of play there around the eight-minute mark where Vandy continues to keep that lead at seven to eight, and Kentucky trying to get it down to three or four, and then it ballooned right back to seven, eight, nine points. And 
I just thought that uh, Stackhouse did an excellent job, and I thought Kentucky – it kept Kentucky off balance a lot too there in the second half, but Kentucky just could not make shots. And then when they finally started making shots, you got to give Andy credit. They continued to make them. They hit a couple of threes. I know one hit the back of the rim and just fell in, and then they had a, a big three there. I think it was a three-point game with about four minutes to play, and Kentucky had a breakdown and a poor closeout, and Vandy hit a corner three. So uh, just to – Look, a lot of stuff went against Kentucky. They still had a chance to win the game. They still got a shot off at the end from my angle. I mean, it was short, yes, but I thought when it first left his hands that it had a chance, but it just wasn't meant to be. Uh, senior night loss to uh, a quad three opponent. It's not what you want this point in the year, but I don't feel any differently about Kentucky today than I did walking into Rupp Arena last night at 5 o'clock. I really don't. Uh, I think you all honestly have to throw a lot out because of Kaysen's injury. Because I think if they'd have had Kaysen down the stretch, I think they win that basketball game, especially with the run that they went on. I think they would have found a way to win it. So uh, still got some things to clean up, but I still think Kentucky's in a good spot and uh, they'll be okay. I, I did tell you last night downstairs that I was a little worried about that game just because the way Vandy had been playing. Yeah, and I I think now that I know that Kaysen's okay, you know, whether he misses Saturday or not, it's not a broken ankle. It's not a, you know, high ankle sprain that's going to keep him out two, three weeks. You know, whatever the case is, now that I know that, I was prepared, Sean, in that last minute when Kentucky takes the lead on, on that Oscar bucket. I even said to myself, this is a damn good win. Like, this is a really, really good win. The way they responded to adversity, they took the first couple punches that Vandy was clearly trying to throw. Uh, Vandy threw a great game plan. As I said, the scout was very, very good. They knew that once Liam Robbins went down, it was going to be a, 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 they were going to get, they were toast down low. They knew Oscar Sheway was going to get whatever he wanted. Uh, and they basically said, let Oscar get what he wants and make them make shots elsewhere. And, pr you know, pressure the non-ball handlers, especially when Kesa went down, N knew exactly that, that Adutira would really struggled under pressure. Antonio is not a, a, a dynamic ball handler just by himself as a, you know, he's a, a score first mentality guy knew to attack the, the ball handlers when, when Kentucky's clearly shorthanded in that regard, let Oscar kind of do his thing and, and hope that Things played out. It played right into Vandy's game plan and, and to their credit. But I was definitely prepared that last minute when Oscar scored. And, and, you know, had Jacob not get beaten off the dribble, that right hand drive with 40 seconds left to go, Jordan Wright, who hasn't, he scored, I think, 15 points in the last four games for Vanderbilt. I, I had to pull it up. 15 points in his previous four games, zero. In five minutes against Florida, he goes off for 23 points, eight of 12, shooting four for four from three. He goes and take over mode to close out the game. Uh, you know, that stuff just happens. I was prepared to say that was a, a, you know, great win for Kentucky to rally from behind. And it is difficult, but I, I agree. I don't see that this team is any different now than I did going into the matchup, assuming that Kaysen is, is back healthy. Although uh, it is just, it, it is a really big, just kind of, Head well, shaker, head scratcher with with Savir and knowing just kind of the dynamic of that and how that all unfolded. It's just that that part's really unfortunate and does kind of take the wind out of my sails ever so slightly, but still, still very confident. You know, kind of big picture. And let's say that Savir doesn't come back. Let's say that Kentucky doesn't get Savir back. You're you're point. You're at a situation in postseason play where foul trouble could force you right back into the exact situation that you just were in last night for a stretch mm -hmm. of play where someone has to step up and play point and, and handle the ball and not turn it over near the timeline and things like that. So who's that going to be? Is it going to be Antonio Ruiz? I, th I think it has to be or a collection of guys, but uh, I, I know what Cal was doing last night when he, when he put a do in that situation, I think he got upset with CJ Frederick for a brief moment. And then he went to a do on the bench and put him in. And I was like, I don't know about this one because when he came in the game, it made him the primary ball handler. And I don't think that that was the role I would, if, if you're going to put a do in, I still would have liked to have seen Antonio Reeves be the primary ball handler against pressure and things and, and put a do off the ball. If you're going to go that route. Uh, but then he went right back to CJ and, uh, and put him back in the game. So I don't know. Like, I just, I think it's, it's difficult to win basketball games. It's difficult enough to win basketball games in the league. It's even more difficult when you don't have a point guard for, what, 17, 18 minutes of the second half. 
and then it forces other guys in different roles, and then you're down nine when that happens, but you find a way to claw your way out of that deficit. You take a lead late, and then when it comes down to it, and you, as you were talking, you were prepared to say that's, that's a, a really good win. That's why I'm not going to put too much in this, because if we're talking one possession determines this is a really good win, and one more possession determines, man, this is a – this is awful. Like this is the, the sky's falling. Like that's the mentality that I'm not ready to take. I'm ready to take your side of this. It would have been a really, really good win. And I'm still choosing to be positive with this because of how Kentucky fought back without their best player and best guard on the floor, their, their star guard. I, I think it's more of a positive than a negative. I hate they didn't get the win uh, selection Sunday. It's going to show up as a loss as a quad three, unless Vandy uh, climbs in the net, which they did not. They climbed one spot after that win. What in the world? Like, so, what in the world? Like how how does that happen, Sean? Because you're you're our net guru and and uh, understanding uh, you know the dynamics of that and how offensive and defensive efficiency plays into that all that. How is Vandy winning seven of eight uh, eight of their last games and pull off a quad one on the road in that fashion down their best player and they move up one spot in the net? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Probably the same way Tennessee is still sitting at three in the net, and it feels like they've been sitting in that spot for what a month or so now. Like it's it just makes no sense. It's just it's hard, and that's why you. I mean, if this is the system we're using to determine seating and things in the NCAA tournament, and I mean, I get it. Like quad one wins and quad two losses and all this stuff. I mean, sure, but at the end of the day, you got to use the eye test and and how teams are playing. And and Vandy to me is one of the hottest teams in the SEC right now. I mean, you go into Rupp Arena and win. You beat Tennessee and Nashville. You, you. I think did they sweep Florida over the course of a couple of weeks? I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a team that's playing really good basketball right now. And Kentucky, you still got to win that game at Rupp Arena if you're Kentucky. You still have to find a way to win it, even a man down or two men down. You got to find a way to claw out of that and, and win it, especially on senior night. But they just had a lot of things go against them in the second half. The injury. Uh, they did overall 25 of 35 at the free throw line. They got there a lot. They got 25 points at the free throw line, but majority of those misses were actually in the second half. So they left some points there. And then you just – you had a lot of guys – it was a collective did not shoot the ball well from outside the paint, which showed up as a disastrous outcome at the end of the game. Like everybody – nobody shot the ball very well. And I told you the other night when we stopped recording that – I wanted to see a game where Jacob Toppin didn't go for 14 and 10. And if Kentucky could, you know, respond because he had played so well for such a good stretch and he still did some good things last night. But I think a lot of guys got frustrated. They walked when me and you were going down to post game interviews and the seniors were coming back out onto the court to for the radio show and stuff to, to go out there with Tom Leach. All of them had a look on their face that they were not very happy that they let that one slip away, uh, which was a good sign. I didn't want to see an, an upbeat team walking out of that tunnel. I wanted to see a team that was like, man, we just lost a game at home to Vandy. Who cares who's out with the injury? Who cares not here with us? We should have won that game. And I, I thought that was a good sign that they at least looked like it was – it mattered to them, which tells me that everything's going to be okay moving forward here on Saturday and into next week. So I have no worries about Kentucky moving forward. Would have loved to seen them get this victory, but it, it does not change my outlook on where they go and, and where they are. Uh, go to this um... – Comment from Rodney Gilbert says BBN killed Savir and we always needed him. We took him for granted. Uh, Sean, this, I I guess, just, you know, to address the elephant in the room, and and I want to get your take on it because it is a very, you know, polarizing subject for a very polarizing player. Probably the most polarizing player I can remember in in John Calipari during his time here in in recent memory, at least several last five years at, at minimum. Um, so Savier undergoes the uh, minor procedure Wednesday morning, the day of senior night, um, very specifically, uh, I guess, to not, you know, participate in in that and, and to not have that welcome. Uh, Ellen Calipari goes down and and uh, wears the Savier Wheeler jersey and no parents, no family, no video from Savier, no hit, you know, two years that he's put into this school and and you know into into this team uh and he's not there to receive that very warm welcome i mean unbelievable standing ovation fans cheered and clapped and it was a, a very overwhelmingly positive 
um, response, but very concerning, I guess, the timing of all of that. What did you make of, of how all of that unfolded? And, you know, I'll provide some details after the fact, but um, I, okay. I know it's something a lot of fans are not a huge fan of. Of him not being there on senior night? Yeah. Minor procedure. I mean, it kind of just, I guess when I heard minor procedure, I guess I just didn't understand why it was scheduled the day of senior night was my first thing when I read the tweet yesterday morning from, from John Calipari. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sure if, if, if anyone in that locker room and in that program, if, if anyone's frustrated, I'm not sure anyone's been more frustrated this season than Sabir Wheeler has. I know he, he comes back as a Kuzi award finalist and led the power five and assist at Georgia and at Kentucky. And here he is, and he's coming back and, you know, wanting to make a run and, and do things and, I mean, he he got outplayed. I mean, Kaysen outplayed Sabir and and took that role. And then you had the the ankle injury, which you know we he did have the ankle injury and and stuff. And uh, I don't know. I think uh, fan frustration. It, it's easy to to say, hey, don't be frustrated or don't do what you do. But I don't know. I, I just thought it was a little bizarre being on the floor for senior night and seeing Ellen having to stand there. And and Cal going down and standing behind the jersey and everything and no Savir, no family, no no nothing there. I mean, it's it is a little bit bizarre that the day of senior night, which has been scheduled since the beginning of the year, that you schedule a minor procedure. You know, like and I get it, get back for the NCAA tournament if that's the case. But why couldn't it have been performed this morning? Maybe I'm going too far. No, and, and it's it's fair. Um, I was told that he was very close. That the expectation internally was that Savir was going to come back very, very soon, that that he was uh, inching close, that his ankle was uh, very close to uh, being ready to go. Uh, and this popped up in the last two or three days before uh, the game and, and leading up to this procedure, um, that it was determined that it needed to get taken care of very quickly. But you're not going to convince me that it couldn't have waited a day. And yeah. I think it's 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 a shame that I do think that there, it's it's two sides of it. I think that Savir understands that he was booed at one point inside Rupp Arena and on on a couple occasions of occasions actually. But the the concerning part to me is that I don't think it was ever booze directed at Savir. It was very circumstantial and situational where. Uh, I remember very vividly that Chris Livingston and Savir were both standing side by side and Savir took two or uh, Chris Livingston. I can't remember the, the, I think Savir took two steps toward the bench. Cal was pulling him in and then said, no, Savir, you stay and Chris, you come. And that was right around the time that fans wanted Chris to play and they were trying to get him worked in and, and, you know, kind of build his momentum and his confidence. And I think, the fans booed that interaction that John Calipari was pulling Chris because they were trying to get him lifted and build his confidence while leaving Savir in the game. And, you know, the fan dynamic with Savir is what it is. And, and I I think that he has seen all of this stuff on social media. I, and I do think it's a vocal minority because I do think the, the vast majority of this fan base does appreciate Savir and understands, like, this was never about, uh, you know, anything personal with Savir. This was never about... Uh, you know, send this kid away. He sucks. You know, he has no business being on this roster because those were stupid takes. We said that at the time. It was always about you're not putting him in best position to succeed if he's a 35 minute per game guy. And if and if he uh, if you're doing that to sacrifice Case and Wallace from being the kind of go to guy and giving you know handing the keys over to him, it was always a very situational thing. And, and uh, the the frustration stemmed from not allowing Kaysen to to emerge as the guy that he clearly was, not anything personally directed towards Savir. And I do think that those lines were crossed on Savir's end where he goes, I come back to this school as a Bob Cousy Award finalist, uh, you know, assist leader in the SEC, blah, blah, blah. He looks at that situation and goes, okay, so I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this program, and you guys are going to boo me. You guys are going to make me feel like I'm not worthy enough to be on the floor and that – uh, you know, this five-star freshman's better than me. And it, it, it becomes an ego thing. Like, and that's what we talked about. How hard is it for him to sit and deal with his ankle thing? And, and you know, like what we talked about, he's not going to rush back to play four or five minutes yeah. at 80%. And it, it, that ended up being exactly right. 
But for Kentucky to continue to play its best basketball this season with Xavier sitting on the bench, that's an ego hit. That that sucks for anybody. And I don't blame him that the frustrations kind of stemmed and, and piled up in that regard. But it's not an excuse to miss senior night. It's not an excuse to have that final give me my roses. Let's give him his roses that he very clearly deserves. Uh, and I think it was a mistake. And I think it's something that both sides will regret down the road that they didn't fight harder to make that happen and say, nah, man, you can only get one senior night. You're not going to come back next year. You will regret this one day that you didn't get that standing ovation from big, big blue nation. And, and I do think that's going to, it's going to be something that uh, they regret down the road. I agree with you. I agree at 100%. And and two, some of the frustration. I mean, it's easy to set for frustration to set in. I mean, at no point should anyone boo a player, especially collegiately at, at Kentucky or, or anywhere in the collegiate game. But at the same time, I think a lot of frustration was more so with John Calipari than it was anything else. But then it I kind agree. of gets it kind of gets pigeonholed into being about individual players and not as much about. But then and then two, here's the other side of this. When Wheeler didn't play the last few games, Kentucky goes on its run, its best run of the season. Then it gets even easier for people to say what that they're on that they're winning, that they don't need him, and they're winning because he's not playing. And I'm yep. sure that there were plenty of comments like that at, at different points. And I'm sure that he saw those comments, and he's probably hearing those comments. And those are he's not seeing the 85 percent of the positive things like the other day when it was announced like yesterday when it was announced that he would miss senior night and all the positivity, like, man, this kid, this kid's given a lot to our program. Like that was all over the comments, but you see the 15% that's saying, Oh, we don't need him. Oh, we, we've been winning without him and we're better without him. Kaysen's better. It's hard. I'm sure. And it's a, it's a scenario where I thought going into the season that this could happen, not the injury and the minor procedure, but I thought that we both thought that Kaysen would take the reins at some point. And then it was going to be up to, you know, how Savier handles things and, and what role that he would take on and, and things like that. So if he's able to get healthy and he's able to get back and he's able to play, if he does indeed play again for Kentucky this season, I think you saw last night that they do need him. Because I actually think if he had been available and able to play, I think Kentucky would have won that game even with Savier, even with Case uh, and Wallace out of action for 18 minutes. Because I think they would have had another guard on the floor that could have done some things and at least uh, – helped you defensively down the stretch, and then also helped you get across half court and get you into your offense. Would he have made some turnovers like he always does? Yes. But he also would have made some some plays and sparked uh, helped spark that rally as well. So I hate it. Yeah, I feel for him. And, and I, I, you know, it, it is what it is. I hope that so, and I will say that it's not a done deal that he doesn't play again at, at Kentucky. I know it sounds crazy, the timing of it, it just, it, it all adds up it, it, that you know, you probably have seen the last of him in a Kentucky uniform. I probably lean against it. Like I, I if you were just asking me personally, my educated guess, uh, you know, unbiased opinion, uh, I'd say that the timing probably won't work out, but this decision was specifically made for this procedure to get him back on the floor during the NCAA tournament. Um, I've been told that some people inside the program are very confident that they never, you know, that he never plays again for Kentucky. Some are, are saying, you know what, I, I think that it's going to happen. I think the timing will work out and I think he's going to do whatever it takes to fight back to get on the floor. So it's not like it's a closed door thing that we never see him again and, you know, wish him the best and say, Sayonara. I, I do think that there is, a, you know, the door's cracked. I don't think it's wide open, uh, but it's not shut either. So, uh, it's it's very frustrating. Uh, it's upsetting that he didn't get that moment because I did think it was a pretty cool moment to to hear the roar of Big Blue Nation. You know, number two, Savir Wheeler, and then the fans erupted because I think that is the 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 I think that's big picture. What is the reality of the case? It's ninety percent of the people, ninety five percent of the people, overwhelmingly supporting this kid, and then the five to ten percent on social media or the couple of fans in the stands that, you, you know, let out the booze or whatever. I think that, uh, I think that's a closer to reality. And, and I wish that he uh, had been able to hear that, but it is what it is. Um, well, can only, it's all over, but, but the shouting will just, it, it's, it's all up to how he recovers and, and how rehab goes and all that stuff. But I, I wish him the best nonetheless. And I, and I will always have a 
positive you know outlook on Savier when his time inevitably comes to a close here at Kentucky. And if that's right now, then it is what it is. Um, making sure we didn't miss any comments before we kind of move forward a little bit or any any questions. Um, more so just comments and dudes having conversations and in this chat. It's it's yeah. jumping, Sean. The, the feedback's been awesome. Oh, it is. That's uh, probably my favorite thing about the way that we we do this now and we do this show is the engagement and uh, not just the conversation and questions for us, but I, I pull it up on my phone. So I pull this up on the YouTube account and I see the questions and I see the engagement and it's uh, it's a lot of fun to to go back and forth. So it's a good way to, as they pop up on the screen here, but it's also good to go and get into the live chat and see it as well. So I appreciate everybody sending in what they do and sticking with us through wins or through losses. It's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's um, kind of transition a little bit into SEC tournament seeding scenarios. It was obviously a very hectic night, and unfortunately the number three seed was not able to be locked up for uh, the Cats, so we'll, we'll talk about some of those scenarios. But first, Kentucky fans, we know you'll be making your way to Nashville for the SEC tournament, and we say welcome back. Experience beautiful Sumner County, Tennessee, just minutes from Nashville. Discover our storied history and strong country music heritage. Indulge in our delicious dining options. Relax in the simplicity of our lakes, parks, and farms. Connect with the authenticity of Sumner County, Tennessee. Head to visitsumnertn.com to learn more, Sean. Uh, so, like I said, not able to secure the number three. All you had to do was win that uh, win that game, and, and you have a, the Friday night spot locked up, the 9 o'clock game uh, down in Nashville, uh, and they were not able to make that happen. So let's kind of break this off into a, you know, kind of a step-by-step -step process of how this could all unfold for the Cats. So if Kentucky beats Arkansas down in Fayetteville, they're a three. Done deal, no questions asked, that's all it takes. If you get that, then you're celebrating on Friday night and, and having a good time, and, and that, that's what we're all collectively rooting for. If you don't beat Arkansas, then you leave it up to chance completely. Then it comes down to the Missouri versus Ole Miss game. If Missouri beats Ole Miss, Tennessee and, and Tennessee also beats Auburn, this is a worst-case scenario. Kentucky slips down to the five seed and they play Thursday instead of Friday, which none of us want. It's an absolute worst-case scenario. If Ole Miss loses to Missouri and Tennessee also loses to Auburn, then Kentucky has the four seed, uh, and they play the they get a double bye. They play the second Friday game. If Ole Miss beats Missouri, but Tennessee beats Auburn, Kentucky is a four seed. They get the double bye, and they play in the second Friday game. And then if – Ole Miss beats Missouri and then Tennessee loses to Auburn, then Kentucky still manages to get the three seed. So basically, if all of the teams involved lose, then Kentucky gets a three seed. They get the late Friday game. They get the double bye. That's also a best case scenario for the Cats. So, uh, Sean, I know you're not feeling happy dandy all as well in, in, in you know, SEC tournament land, but uh, it could be a whole lot worse. But you would certainly have liked to lock up that three seed with a win over Vanderbilt. That would have been the easiest case. It would have been. So what you're telling me after taking me through all that is just go win Saturday, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the uh, that's the easiest thing to follow. Thank thank goodness for this graphic and everything here that that you can look at. It's it's easy to follow once you once you see it. But yeah, you go get a win on Saturday and take care of it. And I I turned around last night to you during the post game uh, press conference and I was like, uh, so. Uh, this brings Thursday into the equation now, doesn't it? And then you and I were talking with Missouri and LSU playing last night that that maybe it could a double buy could be locked up then. But there's still a lot to play for there. Tennessee, there's a lot of stuff going on with Missouri, uh, Kentucky. I mean, there's look coming down to the end here. We're we're gonna we're not gonna know that SEC bracket until late Saturday night because there could be a lot of things shift. But hopefully. Kentucky is playing on Friday with the double bye and not having to play Thursday, Friday, and then go into the weekend too. And, and I will add, and you stay away uh, from Alabama. Game, you stay away yeah, from Alabama. That, that's definitely what. Yeah, that, that's definitely what we're rooting for. But I, I will add that everybody's kind of writing off this game down in Arkansas, and and obviously if Kaysen plays, it's a whole different ball game than if he does not. But I will say that. When Nick Smith returned to Arkansas, and we did we not say this on the show, Sean? I, I remember vividly saying that 
Nick Smith is a game changer for better and for worse. He does a lot of really, really, really good things. He is a lottery talent in terms of a pure scorer. Unbelievable talent, as gifted as it comes, as they come as a pure scorer. However, he is unbelievable tunnel vision at times and uh, can, you know, kind of has that Archie Goodwin kind of trait where at times he just kind of tucks the ball, drives in, in the lane and, and tosses up garbage uh, with, with no rhyme or reason to anything that he does. And uh, that is, I think, can you know, it, it has hurt Arkansas and the momentum that they have been able to build this season uh, with how well Anthony Black was playing with, you know, some of the other guys on their team, jo- you know, Jordan Walsh, their freshmen were playing really, really well. Him kind of being introduced to the lineup as late as he did kind of threw a wrench into their chemistry, into their rotation, how, you know, all the minutes were adjusted and style of play. He's a very ball dominant scorer. And I, I knew that, you know, knowing who he is and what his personality is as a basketball player, that it would cause some type of rift that, that you don't play as cohesive as the team looked without him and then throw in a ball dominant score first guy in the lineup and everything just works out perfectly, perfectly well. So uh, I'm really curious to see how that works out down in, 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 in yeah. because of the dynamic, because Nick Smith wanted to be at Kentucky and those type of guys, when they get that first chance to play against Kentucky, Oh, they didn't push hard enough for me. They wanted Sky Clark and Shaden Sharp instead of me, I'm going to go get mine. And those guys end up having four for 25 shooting nights. So, keep a very close eye on how Nick Smith performs in that one and how everything else kind of works around him, because I would not be shocked at all if, if he shoots Arkansas out of that game down down. and fail. That's that's exactly what I was about to say too. Like you, you got the good of it and you get the bad of it. Uh, Some players perform in that moment. Some uh, try to perform too hard. It ends up hurting their team. So uh, no, but this was a game that when the schedule was released back in late summer, early fall, that we all circled as a two teams from the league along with Tennessee that could possibly be final four contenders, given the talent and everything that on their roster and what Eric Musselman's done, what John Calipari's done over the course of his career. So it's, it's still an exciting game. It's still a very exciting game in Fayetteville. And we know that that arena is going to be insane. Uh, does John Pallet, does John Calipari, get tossed that's a that's a place where, where he always does before he get he gets it's a uh, tradition it is tradition unlike any other there so um i don't know it's going to be an exciting game to close the regular season on uh, a place kentucky went last year and they lost they lost a close one down there last year didn't they down the stretch i, so. I believe so so uh having to go back to fayetteville what first is this the first time in I can't remember how many years that they've played Arkansas home and away. So that was some of the excitement too in the preseason. And you got Nick Smith Jr. there. I, if Kaysen's able to go, that makes that matchup even more exciting with Kaysen and, and Nick going at it. But um, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it too because uh, Arkansas's PA announcer is the guy that's the PA announcer for the SEC tournament, and it's that's when you know it's getting uh, postseason basketball time. He's been the guy at the SEC tournament, whether it's been in Nashville or it's in Tampa. So you, you hear that voice Saturday and you know, it's uh it's March and it's time to, to play serious basketball, but it's a, it's a quality opponent on the road, a chance to add to your resume. If you lose it, especially if you're a man or two down, it doesn't crush you, but if you get it, it, it picks you up. And uh, there's still a lot of work to do on this resume. And Kentucky has a lot of opportunities remaining if they can win this one and get into the league tournament. And there's a couple of teams that could help them out. Michigan is one of them when it comes to moving into quad one territory. Yeah. I'm just pulling that up now. Michigan right now is 54 in the net. So they are right there on the cusp of it with a matchup Thursday. Oh, tonight they play tonight against uh, at Illinois. And then Sunday, Sunday at Indiana, two quad one wins. If they win both of those games, they're in that they're absolutely uh, back up to quad one status for the cats. And you look at their resume, and that's becoming – and I know it's not a crazy good win, winning that one in London. I mean, you had to travel such a long way to get a quad one win. But Michigan has one bad loss. They have a quad four loss. They lost to Central Michigan, I believe, uh, yep, back in late December. So there there was a loss at, at home. So they have a quad four loss. Fighting on Tony resume. Barbies. Yep. But 
the rest of the resume, they've played 13 quad one games. It'll be 15 by the end of this weekend. So 15 quad one games. They're three and 10 in the 13 that they've played. They're six and one in quad two, four and oh in quad three, and four and one in quad four. Uh, they did they did just recently pick up a win um, against Michigan State. So Michigan State's 31 in the net right now. So that could be another quad one win that goes in their favor. Um, so they, they've got some games there that they're they're kind of looking at the same thing where they're like, can we add some quad ones? Can we pick up some quad ones here down the stretch? Do we get a couple more in the uh, Big Ten tournament? So that's a team to pay attention to that that, that win – could help Kentucky even more. That win could get even better over the course of the next seven to 10 days before you get to selection Sunday and uh, give Kentucky another quad one win. I, I think it, I would like to see Kentucky, you get this opportunity on Saturday, you let Michigan win a game or two here down the stretch. It would get Kentucky to seven, seven wins in quad one. And then you get a one or two in the SEC tournament and it gets you a team at one point that had one quad one win in mid February. Could be, approaching eight, nine quad one wins if it plays out in their favor. And that's why I'd be okay. Like if, if it plays out and they get to play Alabama again, or if they get to play uh, someone of a quad one status in the SEC tournament, I'd, I'd love to see Kentucky wreck up two or three quad one wins in Nashville and just continue building that resume. And uh, there's opportunities. There's opportunities in the league tournament. There's a lot of basketball to be played and uh, Kentucky fans should probably be pulling for Michigan every game the, re the rest of the way. That, that's the one that you want to pull for. Yeah, and Vanderbilt and all the other yeah. – even though Vanderbilt, I, I still don't understand it. There's no way they can jump back up unless they go on a run in the SEC tournament. I just don't know how they have the resume that they have in the last eight game, – nine games uh, and still well, jump one one spot. It just makes no sense. I, the net just makes zero sense to me whatsoever in, in terms of how they actually go about doing it. Like I get their, their process and like how it is in the grand scheme of things on paper, but – how they come up with their formulas and how many spots people move up and down. I, I think it's all nonsense. So in that stretch, so they've won seven of eight dating back to February 4th was the, when they started that streak. They've won three quad one games in that stretch wins over Tennessee at home at Florida at Kentucky. They beat Auburn inside Memorial Gymnasium. Then they beat Florida again at home. They beat the they beat that South Carolina team. Kentucky lost two. They beat Ole Miss. So on February 4th, Vandy was – let me see where they were in the net. They were 108th in the net on February 4th. And now they're up to 84. So it took them a month to climb from 108 to 84. So can they climb from 84 to 75 – in 10 days probably not right yeah. so that, that game's probably not getting to quad one in nashville or quad two at rupp arena but i mean look that that stretch of play and stuff i mean they've significantly improved their resume they're four and nine in quad ones and four and one in quad twos like that's that's a vandy team that's that's done a lot of good this year especially down the stretch so they got a game against Mississippi State on Saturday to close the regular season. If they get that one, maybe they can inch closer to to eighty. I mean, you you never know. Like I'd I'd like to see, I'd like to see Vandy climb up to quad one status. I, I like um, Allen's quote. I like Allen's comment. What quad was the fighting fighting peacocks? Quads are stupid. <laughs> Amen, brother. I I love it. I I, I know. Tell the NCAA. Yeah. The NCAA selection committee are the only reason why we even have to talk about these uh, quads and the net and, and how the, the resumes are built and all that stuff. It's, this is their formula. It, we need to take we need to take the NCAA down, Alan. I agree. Forget if the it's quads. confusing me. If it's confusing me, I'm surely they're sitting there being confused too on Selection Sunday, <laughs> where they're like, "What quads this one in?" Like, I don't know. Like, goodness. And Vanderbilt, yeah, Ben from Kentucky says Vanderbilt has more uh, quad one wins uh, than, than UNC, but UNC, everybody falls in love with them. And it just, none of it makes any sense. These guys are morons. Uh, anyway, if you, so say, say Kentucky is able to go down to Fayetteville and pull off a win. Doesn't matter the fashion. It could be a 20 point blowout, could be a buzzer, you know, shot at the buzzer. Does that completely erase the Vanderbilt loss, assuming Casey Wallace is back? Do, do you look at those two games as a wash? Resume-wise or just my viewpoint? Momentum, 
what what we were feeling going into the into the Vanderbilt game, the momentum that we had, the confidence saying that we're a four seed and, you know, if, if they went out and, and play extremely well, if they split those two games and Kentucky looks very solid down in Fayetteville, Kaysen is back healthy, do you consider those two games a wash? Yeah, I do. Just uh, because I, just like I said to you a moment ago when we started the show or in the first segment there that, I don't have any difference of opinion on this Kentucky team for how last night played out. I don't because I think you have to throw it out the window because they played without a point guard for 18 minutes. And they were really, really bad in the most important stretch of play that you could be bad in, the closing minutes of the first half and the opening minutes of the second half. That's where Vandy built their run and built their lead that eventually became too much for Kentucky to overcome. Yes, they got the lead back. But then it came down to execution in the final minute, whereas if Kentucky would have had a key stretch of play there to open the second half, close the first half, you could have you've been able to afford a, a turnover from a Duthiero at near the timeline at center court. Then it wouldn't have been an eight-point, nine-point deficit or anything like that. Like that, that situational basketball. And I know people, some people probably argue that no minute of a basketball game is more important than any other minute. But I just feel like to close the half, that's a momentum shift. And then to open the half, another momentum shift, and then you have an injury in mixed in that segment. So no, I don't, I don't have any feelings towards what happened last night at Rupp Arena. Like I don't even. It's almost like I've just blocked it out of my mind that happened. You still got to beat Vandy on senior night, yes, but it does not change the way that I view this team just because I watched what they did the four previous games, and then I watched them rally last night with lineups that, if they're healthy, would not have been on the floor together in, in crunch time. So we're talking about a team in John Calipari that went a week ago and didn't make substitutions in the second half. And then last night he's like, help here, just throwing this and hoping it sticks because he had to. That's not in rhythm. That's not in sync. Guys are being forced to play spots in roles that are not what they're doing, but this is why it needed to happen because you're another ankle injury or rolled ankle or foul trouble or a finger poked to the eye or something to Casey Wallace in the SEC tournament or the NCAA tournament from three or four minutes without him. And let's say that it happens at the opening of the second half in a momentum shift. You've been there now. Now you got to do it again without him and Xavier Wheeler. So I don't know. I just, I'm choosing to stay positive. If they go get beat in Fayetteville Saturday, as long as they don't go get beat by 20 or 30, I'm okay. On that note, Jason sent Jason Center says, say we lose at Arkansas in the first game of the SEC tournament, where do we see in the NCAA? So complete flip Ooh. devil's advocate. Say the wheels fall off in the next two games, and you now have to enter the NCAA tournament on a three-game winning or three-game losing streak. And health in doubt, Savir, you don't know when he's gonna come back, blah, blah, blah. They they fall to got to be fall, an eight at, at maybe even shoot. I, I was ten. Even, I was throwing. I was going to say you fall to a ten, and here's why: you fall victim of the you're not playing, and everybody else is. And it's that yeah. eye test thing that I'm telling you about. It's what are you doing in the immediate picture? Yeah. If you're playing basketball, people are talking about you, and you're on their mind. If you're not playing basketball over the course of the next ten days. Nobody's talking about you. Nobody's thinking about you. Pop up on Selection Sunday, like mm, that's a that's a ten seed resume. Mm-hmm. But if you win a game in the SEC tournament, you lose at Arkansas. You win a game in the SEC tournament, you're going to be somewhere in the eight nine, and you're playing a one seed on the first weekend. If you lose Saturday and lose the first game of the SEC tournament, you're a ten and playing a two. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament. The only way Kentucky's not playing a one or a two is if they win Saturday and get to the finals of the SEC tournament. That's where I think that a six seed maybe still could be within reach. Most likely a seven, though, even if they they go on a run. I think they're going to fall somewhere in that. Six is probably the ceiling now, but it would have to take a, have to have a lot of help. Michigan would have to get to a quad one. They'd have to add some quad ones. They're not getting to a five now. But that's the thing, right? You have two games left on your schedule that you know of for sure in regular season and things. And you could fall anywhere in my eyes between a six and a 10. Yeah. Mark Carver says, different note. Can we bring the dog from the Louisville game last night to a game next year? Give it an honorary jersey. Yes. 
unbelievable moment in the uh, of just the epitome of how terrible Louisville basketball is right now in the state of the program. That dumpster fire of a season. What other way to close that? The, close up the young the young center slate than a big steaming pile of dog crap on the floor. Yeah, dumpster fire for sure. That but, big uh, dump, dumpster yeah. fire. Man, that was uh, that was funny. Like nothing, it could always be worse, Sean. It could it always could. be worse. We're it sitting could. here griping about a, a two point loss on senior night uh, against a very hot Vanderbilt team, and here we go. We're, we we could also be dealing Dr. with what we're dealing with right now. Could yeah. always be worse. Yeah, well, Sean, you could, um, I, I'm be, feel, feeling be feeling losing. a lot better. This was a good little. You said what? I said you could be losing and dogs pooping on your floor at the same time. So. It absolutely good. Well, <laughs> oh well, I'm feeling a lot better. This was a nice little event session. I'm feeling um, still very optimistic about the Cats' chances. And, and oh, real quick, Devin Anderson says on a side note, uh, did you hear Bruce Pearl's meltdown last night? I the loved it, Sean. The what? The crotch cam. I had to look at that guy's what? crotch the entire time that he was talking because <laughs> they had the radio table set up and the dude just standing there. And I'm like, what in the world are we looking at here? Yeah, he melted down. Full blown meltdown. I, I, I love him, man. I do. I, I've always loved his tenacity. I love that every time he comes into Rupp Arena, he has tears streaming down his eyes by the end of his press conference. And he's been fighting for this Kentucky job. He's never going to get it, but he's been fighting for this Kentucky job for five years now. Uh, and I have always just admired his passion and his vulnerability at times and the emotion that he carries with him for better and worse. And I do. I, I I do genuinely appreciate Bruce Pearl, and I, I did appreciate. I, I'm always good for a nice little. I, I'm very anti-ref, just in general, very very anti-officiating. So uh, I I'm always good for a nice little vent session directed toward the officiating. Yeah, me too. But if you're going to have somebody on, sit down and let your face be on the camera. Not. I don't want to look at someone's crotch the entire time. I'm. Have you seen the video of it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you can't get past it. You're, you're just focused on the, the crotch. I mean, I'm just like, it's a screaming crotch. Like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> I mean, come on. But no, I was, I was, uh, I was appreciative of it too. I love the the fire and the passion. And look, Vandy, Vandy needed that win to. If they win that one, they're they're in. And not only did they win that one, they shoot up the net, and then the game at Rupp Arena has a chance to be a quad one win as well because Auburn's thirty seventh in the net. Mm-hmm. So, what do they do in Nashville? There's a lot of teams playing for their tourney lives starting next week. You're going to play desperate teams every single time you take the floor. You're going to have teams trying to improve their seating. You're going to have teams trying to play their way into the tournament. Do you think anyone wants to play Vandy right now in in the SEC tournament? God no, no, God no. There, there's a reporter, uh, a young kid that came up to us. We we did our rapid reaction on the um, YouTube page and he came up to us afterward and he was like, I hope to see, I hope for a rematch down in Nashville. And I was like, Oh yeah, that'd be cool. And like, a- after I thought about it, I was like, hell no, I'd no. love to not play Vandy again. Like, please not. That'd be uh, fantastic. But uh, he was a great kid and uh, he does great, great work. But yeah, I- I'd like to just see him uh, in out at the bars or something down in Nashville. Definitely not as a head to head battle again with, with Vandy. They can, I'm, sure. I'm very much done. Very much done with them. Also, very much done with the show. We gotta get out of here, um, Sean. But before we do, with postseason play comes March Madness, and with March Madness comes my favorite time of the year: brackets. Sources say is teaming up with Run Your Pool, the home of competition, bringing sports fans and their friends together to connect and compete with over 50 game types for every sport you can think of. It's a one-stop shop for sports gaming with over two million players. There's no better place to run your bracket for your friends, family, or office. That's where we come in. Sources say is hosting an official bracket competition with our listeners for cold, hard cash. Thanks to Run Your Pool. It's simple. You fill out your picks for every game uh, of the NCAA tournament and get points for each pick you get right. Top three finishers will be winning a grand total of 500 bucks from Run Your Pool with first place taking home a smooth $300, second place winning 150 bucks. 
in third place, winning $50. The best part, it is completely free to play. Listeners competing against me, Sean, Steve, and the whole KSR crew with no strings attached to sign up at play.runyourpool.com slash sources dash say and get your picks in when the bracket is live on Selection Sunday. It is that easy. That is play.runyourpool.com slash sources dash say to compete against the Sources Say crew for cash. Sean, great show. Glad we could uh, be a little bit happy, optimistic. Cats are still rolling. We're just fine. Get Case and Wallace healthy, and we're golden. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Find me on Twitter as well, at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email, JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the JPEG Sources Say podcast. We will see you then.